Daryl, come preach to us. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. The book of Mark, Mark chapter number one. I was talking to my wife last night on the phone. Abigail and I were talking to her, and uh, I was trying to describe the conference, and I thought about when they will take the camera at a baseball game and and move it around to the kind of the who's who's in the crowd. Oh, that person's here and that person's here. That's what I felt like, Pastor Thompson, last night. Uh, I thought it was going to be just enough to be here with Pastor Thompson and the great Capital City Baptist Church. But then I was mentioning all of the different people, some of which I have not, you know, I had not met before getting down here. I'd heard of and uh, but just hearing these stories, I was trying to tell her about their works and the mission fields. And and we're excited about our mission conferences. It isn't until next year, but we're already excited. And God has stirred my heart. Thank you, Capital City Baptist Church. And thank you, missionaries. And uh, from all around the world, just an all-star lineup, and I am just so grateful. Uh, and also for your humility and just faithfully serving the Lord there. And, and then, of course, the church, the kindness to us has been overwhelming. My daughter Abigail and I were riding back last night, and she had gotten all these gifts. And she just said, Dad, I got all of this for nothing, <laughs> for nothing. I said, what do you mean for nothing? She said, it's not my birthday and it's not Christmas. I said, it's the goodness of God. I said, it's the ministry. And then I used that moment. I just jumped on. I said, you know what? I said, we would, I wouldn't be flying down here. We wouldn't be doing all. Of, there is an adventurous spirit in the ministry. I know people that I grew up with and they had an adventurous spirit. Let me just stop and uh, rabbit trail. Young people have an adventurous spirit. They do. And we need to show them that it's the work of the Lord that brings the greatest adventure. And so I kind of jumped on that a little bit. I said, you're getting all this stuff and doing all this because of the work of God. Taking, going to a missions conference, and especially this one, and one like this one, is the closest thing, I believe, in taking a missions trip. It really is. And I don't know if you're like me, but when you see the videos, when you see the pictures, or you hear the stories, you really just go on that mission trip. When we have a missions conference, uh, we advertise it that way. We say we're going on a mission trip. We give out the passports to the kids, and, and we really just tell, I mean, the adults as well, you're going on a missions trip. Be prepared, get every, you know, raise your finances, do everything in preparation to go on this missions trip. And when they tell the story, the first message, when you were telling the story of that church, I could smell it, I could feel the heat, I could taste the alcohol, I could just, all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I've never tasted I don't even know what it smells like but you know you can you can and, and just the story and I'm tearing up as you're talking about your wife's parents and and just the stories you know it, uh, it reminds me of the the man who uh, surrendered to go to the mission field and he went to take a survey trip in Africa. And of course, my, my sister Rachel's in Africa. And, and uh, on one of the, the free day, they had a free day and they wanted to go see some of the safari animals. And uh, so the young man went um, with some other missionaries that were there that he was spending the time with on the survey trip. And, and they got into the safari vehicle and went to view all of the animals and they saw the zebra and the giraffe and everything there. And and my sister has a lot of that stuff right near her house, and I've enjoyed seeing it. But they stopped to take pictures of a herd of elephants, and uh, surprisingly, there was a little baby elephant, a cute baby elephant. I've seen them before, and they're just the cutest little things. And this little baby elephant went like this. 
And the herd started to move on as the Jeep got closer and the little baby elephant just stayed right there and went like this. And they looked closer and somebody said, look, there, there's something stuck up in his, in his uh, foot, like a bamboo shoot or something. And without saying anything, that young missionary, he didn't know any better. He jumps out of the safari vehicle, runs into the bush, grabs that little elephant's leg like this, grabs it out and just pulls that thing out, runs back in the Jeep. No, I mean, the, the tour guide was screaming at him, yelling at him, so angry, so mad, yelling at everybody who's with him. He jumps back in and the little elephant looks back and just runs off. It was amazing. Skip forward to the near the end of that man's life. He's in Southern California at a missions conference. He'd spent his life on that field in Africa, and now he's back. He's obviously married. He's got grown children. He's got grandchildren, and they're visiting the San Diego Zoo on a free day, and they're looking at the animals. They get to the African exhibits, and they were a little bored because many of that family had been in Africa and were used to it, but they were taking the pictures and, you know, eating the cotton candy, and they walked on kind of quickly through, and they had passed the elephant exhibit. There was a large bull elephant, just the most massive animal in all of the zoo, and they had moved on, and they said, where's Grandpa? And they looked back, and Grandpa was just staring at that bull elephant. And they thought, oh, that's kind of special. He's thinking of all the years he served in Africa, but they said, wait a minute, look, the bull elephant's staring at him, and they were just staring at each other. The group, all the family, 15 or 20 of them, all the siblings and aunts and uncles and cousins watched in amazement as they looked at each other and this bull elephant in Southern California in the United States went like this. They could not believe it. They got their cameras out. That old man climbed over the ravine, over the, <laughs> ran right into the exhibit runs up to the bull elephant, wraps his arm around the elephant, and that elephant went, and just killed him. It wasn't the same elephant. Mark chapter number one. Everybody else, everybody else had a mission story, and I needed one. I needed one. So I made my own mission story up. All right, Mark chapter number one. He had an awesome story, and he had an awesome story, and he had an awesome story. Y'all like my story? All right. <laughs> this is a true story. Now I have to quantify everything. I was a little 12-year-old Asian boy. This is a true story, I promise. He lost his left arm and hand in a terrible accident. It's true. I'm serious. <laughs> and his parents uh, felt sorry for him. And, uh, you know, he had no arm. And, and uh, he's a little Asian boy. And everybody else was taking judo. And so they said, well, we're, we're just going to enroll you anyway. And they, they take him to the best of the best and said, could you do anything at least to where he could just, you know, have a little bit of fun. I know he'll be handicapped, but um, is there anything you could do? And they took him to the best of the best. And the master says, I can train this boy. They said, really? He said, well, do what you can do with him. He's got one arm. And for a solid year, that master, that judo trainer taught, taught him one stroke and only one stroke. Everybody else was learning all kinds of strokes, learning all kinds of moves and, and just one stroke. And his parents got a little frustrated. He got frustrated. Others mocked and jeered that he only knew one stroke, one punch, one move. 
And after a year, he entered him, the master did, into a competition. His parents were a little afraid that he'd get jeered or made fun of, but he did well and he won. And he kept working his way up all the way to what would have been the nationals or the national championship. And the referee on the first match called and said, they called it off. He said, no, 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 this guy's got one arm. How did he get here? I don't know what happened. They called the parents over the sideline and his coach. They said, look, let, let him do it. He's won his way here. And, and, and the boy himself was shocked that he was there. It was kind of a whirlwind of a year and a half or so. And to make a long story short, he won. They were shocked. People could not understand it. And people came up to that coach, including the parents, and said, look, we have never really cornered you and, and asked, what is the secret? How come he's so good and how, how he so quickly wins against the greatest of the greats? And the coach said, look, for a solid year, all I've done is teach him one stroke. And your one-armed boy has learned the hardest move in all of judo. He said, very few masters can even learn that move with precision. And he's mastered it to perfection because that's been the only move that he could do. And he said, but here's the secret. For an opponent to defeat that one move, he must hold his left hand. And your son has no left hand to defeat him. His handicap was really his victory. Yeah. And that one punch, that one stroke was what defeated his opponents. As I prayed and thought about the weight, the necessity laid upon me of preaching in a missions conference of this magnitude, and I don't say this with flattery, I honestly believe that the Capital City Baptist Missions Conference is the greatest mission conference in the United States of America. And I mean that and we have a wonderful one and pray and fast and all of that. But the length, the missionaries that come in, the money raised, the heart behind, just the whole package. What would God have me bring? And as I thought about these truths that God has stirred in my heart and the young people that would be here on a Tuesday morning, I believe that this is the one stroke. This is the one punch for missions. I really do. I, I believe it with all of my heart. And as we think about the three words that are used in missions at every mission video, just about, that, just about every mission video that I've seen growing up, this is the first word that you see, and it is the most important. And so let's dive in quickly. We'll read Mark chapter 1 in just a moment. But let me just say that my daughter Cherith, who is nine months old, just born, and I'm sure many of you have little babies. I know uh, 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 Mika, they call her Aunt Mika, just had, what is it, Trevor is the youngest. Little Trevor, just a couple months old. Uh, three weeks old, three weeks old. Cherith, or little Trevor, is the most dependent person in their family, and Cherith's the most dependent person in my family. Would you agree with that? That if we don't feed her, if she doesn't rely upon us, she'll die. And we think about the dependency, maybe within your family or in your church, there are people that are more dependent than others. And when you study history and most importantly the scriptures, you look to see who was the most dependent person that ever lived and it's clear that it was Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ was in the flesh, he was the most dependent person that ever lived. 
Now we'll read Mark 1, but just stay with me for a moment as we drive up to that doorway. John 5 and verse 19 said, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son, speaking of himself, capital S, can do nothing of himself. John 5, 30, he said, I can of mine own self do nothing. John 6, 38, for I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. It can be painted or described in this way when he puts it in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation like a little baby, a dependent child, and took upon him the form of a servant. What does a servant do? He doesn't call the shots. He responds to the shots, if you will. And was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, watch this, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. God said, Jesus said, the flesh profiteth how much? John 15 verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do. Romans 8, 8, so then they that are in the flesh cannot Please God. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 21 says, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. When I began to study this in the scriptures of the earthly life of Jesus Christ, I saw obviously his miracles, I saw the cross, I saw his teaching, his preaching, and so much. But once you begin to unravel this thread, you'll see that there was one thing that Jesus was marked by more than anything else, more than his miracles, more than his preaching, something he did more than anything else, something he was known for more than anything else, something that uh, he was the most famous for, something that uh, drove him more than anything else. And it's that first word that we talk about when we come to missions. How many of you think you know what it is? Pray, give, go, pray. I want to look for just a few minutes this morning on the prayer life of Jesus Christ and what it means for missions. The prayer life of Jesus Christ. Paul said that we are, as preachers, to persuade men. And as I look at so many young men and young ladies and even children in the room, I understand the responsibility of being persuasive this morning of persuading you, using, uh, letting the word of God persuade us to not just talk about prayer, not just uh, say that we are going to pray for these countries and pray for God to use us and pray for wisdom and pray for power and pray for leadership, not to talk about it all with needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I want to show you from the scripture something that if this doesn't persuade you and change your life, Nothing will. Because I would love to talk about, I have a dad who has been in the ministry and preaching going on this coming year, 2024, 60 years. The greatest prayer warrior that I've ever known. I've been around incredible prayer warriors and I could tell you stories that would cause the hair to stand up on your arm. But when we're done in just a few minutes, I want you to have seen the clarity of the life of Jesus Christ, the Christ of Christianity, who said, I have to pray. 
I mean, this is how Judas knew where to find him. It was, they didn't ask him, teach me how, his disciples didn't say, teach me how to preach, teach me how to go sowing. They said, teach us how to pray. Why? We want to know how to pray like you. And and they said, well, how do you know where this Jesus is going to be when they went to betray him? And they said, it's because, quote, the Bible said, it's where he often resorted. He had this place of prayer. Again, I'm not talking about George Mueller. I'm not talking about Dr. Sisk. I'm not talking about Dr. Sisson. I'm not talking about great missionaries who've seen miracles through a faithful, uh, spirit-filled prayer. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. It says, look, I'm finding myself, and not that he came to that conclusion, oh, here I am. No, he knew uh, his time and his calling. But when he found himself fashioned as a man, he knew that God ordained and God created the power of prayer in the flesh to connect to a holy God and there is no other door, there is no other avenue to change the world, to have wisdom, to have discernment and to get anything done except through prayer. Ian Bounds said prayer makes a godly man and puts within him the mind of Christ, the mind of humility, of self-surrender, of service, of pity and of prayer itself. If we really pray, we will become more like God or else we'll quit really praying. And it's my fear that we have a religious prayer and we have a, we talk a lot about prayer, but we are not passionate about following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ in prayer. So if you have a place in your Bible, I want you to write these things down about the prayer life of Jesus Christ. And I believe if we will begin to pray for our missionaries, pray that God would bring us more money to give to missions, pray that God would open doors for us to go to missions, pray that our children would be called to the mission field. I'm praying that my children uh, would either serve God in full-time ministry here uh, uh, in America or around the world. I hope so bad and pray so much that God would use them somewhere. I believe if we will see the, 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 the testimony of Jesus Christ that when we're done in just a few minutes here uh, that our life will be transformed to pray more and we will be persuaded to pray, pray more. So write these things down if you will quickly find some place to write them down. Number one, uh, look at Mark chapter number one and uh, let's go here uh, to verse number, uh, Mark chapter number one and um, Verse 35, let's jump in at verse 35. The Bible says, and in the morning, rising up. Now, who rose up? Who rose up? Who who is this in context here? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, I've got to get up and I've got to do something first. Look, I know it's missions conference, but I got to get up and I've got to find a place of prayer. I don't need to go to coffee first. I don't need to go to breakfast first. I don't need to check my cell phone first. Watch this. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day. So maybe day was six o'clock. So he's getting up at three, four, five. I don't know. It's a quote, great while. And he's the inspirer and the preserver of the word. This is the Christ of Christianity. And, and it was just a light bulb. And Pastor Thompson, I hope that the Holy Spirit of God will sneak it in on us this morning to realize, wait a minute, this is Jesus. What do we think we're doing? If Jesus said, I cannot do anything without prayer, what are we doing? Watch this. Great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they found him, they said unto him, all men seek for thee. I've got eight children. 
I've got a 10-acre hobby farm with 20 or 30 animals. I pastor a church. I'm married, and we all could talk about the same things, right? I mean, if you got a cell phone, you're busy. We're busy. we got a lot of irons in the fire. But they said, all men seek for thee. He's got three and a half years of public ministry, and he's out into a solitary place, and there he's praying. Jesus Christ, the Christ of Christianity, prayed. Why? Because he knew as we look at these beautiful instruments, these sound amazing, don't they? Somebody purchased one for our church. It was $60,000 new, a nine-foot grand bald one. How many of you believe this sounds beautiful? It was crafted beautifully. Well, I don't hear it. It does sound beautiful to you. I don't don't hear it. I kind of tricked you. No, it's, it's been created, fearfully and wonderfully made. It's been visioned. There's been architectural prints. I mean, if you study the crafting of a true work of art like a grand piano is, but I don't hear anything, do you? Do you hear anything? Without prayer, this is it. You boys look cute. But without prayer, I I don't care whether you're a missionary in the full-time field or whether you're uh, in full-time ministry in the United States or you're just full-time for Jesus making a paycheck somewhere and giving it to God and raising your family for the Lord. Prayer is what makes the music of our life. This is what Jesus understood. This, he surrendered to that. I know I am not pulling down his deity at all. He just said, look, uh, we, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In the same context, he goes on to say, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace. I always looked at it like God was kind of handing down something that he wasn't. Let, yeah, you need to go throw, boldly under the... No, no, he's saying, let us therefore, just like me, come boldly under the throne. When, when that connected, what do you mean just like you, Jesus Christ? What do you mean just like you, the power of prayer? And so number one, write it down. We see in the scriptures, understanding these truths in the Bible about humbling himself and doing none of his own will, we see, number one, that Jesus had a prayer life as a child. Jesus had a prayer life as a child. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 49, he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? Here's a child. Now look, I'm not taking away the deity of God here. Jesus is God, but he is found fashioned as a man. And yet as a 12-year-old boy, he's sitting in the temple knowing the will of the Father. Why? Because of the power of prayer, the connectivity. He had been talking and seeking wisdom and favor from God. And God was imparting wisdom to this man form, Jesus Christ of God Almighty. My sister Rachel told of a convicting story that, and this is a true one too, of some English Bible translators in their community there near Morogoro, Tanzania. And they got back from a conference that they had all been to of the African nations of all of these missionaries. And she had tears in her eyes as she told my sister Rachel. She said it was so convicting. She said, we were at this huge dinner, the opening night of this conference. And all these missionaries from all over the African nations were there. And it was a big kind of swanky thing. And everybody's at round tables. And to open up, they would pass the microphone around the room. And people would stand and talk about what they were doing in Africa. 
and give their credentials. And she says, we didn't realize really what was happening is people stood and they would say, well, I'm Dr. So-and-so and I'm a medical doctor and I give the gospel, but I also opened up this clinic and I have a PhD from this place and that place and I have a doctorate here. Somebody else would stand and said, I've translated the Bible into X amount of languages and I have this training and that training and the ladies would stand and give their credentials and all over the room and people were applauding and whispering, oh, look, who's who? And they got all done and the moderator stood up and says, hey, there's you guys back here. They didn't take the mic to your table and there was just one table of national pastors from, I believe she said the Congo, the interior of, of the Congo. And, and, and they were just all, they were embarrassed because they were not like all of the European and American missionaries. And they didn't have the credentials, but they passed the mic anyway to them. And they stood one by one and she said the whole room <laughs> began to cry and everybody just slumped down in their seats as one by one the humble servants of God, these pastors that were laboring away would stand one by one and say, hello, my name is John and I am a child of God. Sit down. She said the lady, hi, I am Francis and I am a child of God and sit down. And see, when we do not pray as children, and we don't teach our children to pray. I had a wise old man once say to me, he said, the greatest thing you can teach your children is the verse, he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that, what? That what? Diligently seek him. And without the power of prayer as a 12-year-old boy or girl, you're not secure in who you are. And you're trying to get the right kind of training, and we should, or the right kind of credentials, or the right kind of networking. But wait a minute. When we pray and we see answered prayer, we know, I am a child of God. I can take the light of the gospel anywhere around the world. I can learn any language. I can do it. Why? Because it's God that empowers me. It is God that fills me. Hey, I, there is a security. Have you noticed in young children, there's not a security anymore? That's a design of Satan to cause them to question and doubt and be insecure. But Jesus had a prayer life. He knew his father's business. Secondly, we see that Jesus began his ministry work in prayer. Notice Mark chapter 1, we're there. We're just going to do a study and just touch the tip of the iceberg this morning. In verse 12, the spirit driveth him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan. And while he's in the wilderness there, we know because of the Spirit of God that he's talking with God, he's meeting with God, he's seeking God, and he comes out of the wilderness to begin his ministry work. Satan tries to defeat him there. We know the story of, uh, of, of tempting him with, the, with, with, with the hunger and with power and all of these things, trying to show him, hey, you don't have to submit like this. You can be powerful in the flesh is what, what Satan was trying. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus is power. Don't misunderstand me here. Jesus' power is clearly explained because he began his ministry work in prayer. My fear is that I'm going to do good in the flesh. See, that's the flesh that nobody knows about. The devil knows he's not going to get these guys down at the bar here in Austin or some, one of these missionaries over here to the club to throw away their testimony and their wife. He knows that. He knows that 99.9% .9 of these missionaries and young people and children aren't just going to go out and do some horrible, horrible sin. Oh, he'll get them there one day. Once he first says, you know what, I'll just get them in the good flesh. I'll have them sing in that choir for the sake of the gospel in the flesh, in the power of their own might without prayer. 
I'll have them preach a message without prayer and humility and seeking God and crying out to God saying, Lord, without you, it might sound cute, but it's vomit without you. And once he gets us in the good flesh, you know, the spiritual gifts, things God imparted to us to do, some, some are just better at certain things. Maybe you play the piano and we look at spiritual gifts, but spiritual gifts and spirituality are not the same thing. And we'll take our eyes off spirituality because that's the hidden man of the heart. And we'll put our eyes on spiritual gifts. When in reality, we should put our eyes on spirituality, that walk with God, that ministry work through prayer and the power of God. He began his ministry work in prayer. He prayed as a child, number three, quickly. Prayer was a part of his daily work. Look at Mark chapter 1 now, verse 23. We're still in Mark chapter 1, verse 23 now. I want you to see... <clears throat> And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him, he cried with a loud voice, and he came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they all questioned, that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For here it is, with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. I think you're going to see before we're done here in a little bit that this was a result of the power of prayer. Now watch this. Why hadn't the unclean spirit cried out before? Because there was no power. There was power there. And that's why he cried out. Now, verse 28. Immediately the fame spread abroad throughout all of uh, the region round about Galilee. Forthwith they came. They were come out of the synagogue. They entered in the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife, mother, lay sick of a fever. And anon they tell him of her. And they came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. He came and healed her there in verse 31. And immediately the fever left her. And she ministered unto him, them. And at even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased. And them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases. And cast out many devils. And suffered not the devils to speak. Because they knew him. Stop, look up. He's doing all of these things because he's got power from God. It's God's plan. But wait a minute. Everybody's coming. There's great victory. Look at the next verse. We're back up to where we started. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day. Why? Because prayer was a part of his daily work. A great sports team will not win and then go and celebrate, get drunk, do whatever... No, there are teams that do that, but they don't have a long-term culture of winning. You know what the winning team does? They go right back into the locker room. Yes. Right back in the locker room. They said, we had a win yesterday or just an hour ago, but we're going to win tomorrow night. And they began to plan for the next victory. We can't go in last year's missions conference. And next week, you can't just go in today's missions conference. It is prayer that is the wood on the fire for your surrender and your heart and your giving and missions. It was a part of his daily work. And again, just station identification. This is Jesus Christ. How dare we think that we can live one day without prayer? Spurgeon said it's better to have a prepared messenger than a prepared message. Why? Because a prepared messenger will have a prepared message. Whether it be family devotions or soul winning or Sunday school lesson or singing or playing a trumpet or running a sound booth. Look, I don't want sound guys that don't pray every single service. I know the devil loves to get in this stuff. And you guys have incredible sound guys. I'm not saying that to down in any way. But whether you're changing a diaper in the nursery, whether you're a veteran missionary on the field, you've got to have prayer. Yeah, yeah. It's a part 
of his daily work. Look at Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter number 9. And I, I just, it's amazing when you see it. He comes down off the Mount of Transfiguration. We're just going to kind of jump to the end of the story. His disciples are all there wringing their hands because they cannot cast out the devils that are in this boy, who, this, this, this individual who's been cast in the fire, foaming at the mouth. And now let's look at verse, uh, how about we jump in um, to verse number 26. And the spirit cried and rent him sore. This is Mark 9, 26. And came out of him when, when Jesus had come. And he was as one dead insomuch that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him up by the hand and lifted him up and he rose. And was coming to the house. His disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Now, I never saw this before until I understood and saw every single day. Look, I'm literally like an iceberg on top of the water and, and the majority's underneath the water. We're just skimming the surface. Once you start unraveling this thread, you realize every single passage talked about more than anything else about Jesus. Every moment, every passage, every, every context of Jesus' life was saturated in prayer. And it just blows me away. Here's what he's saying. They're saying, how come we couldn't do that? Now, watch this. He's saying... Come on, guys. Wink, wink. You've been watching me. This is why soon you're going to ask me to teach you how to do this. But he said, this, this kind cometh forth, but by prayer and fasting. What have I been doing? In other words, it was his, it was the vehicle that he used, right? I used to think it was a directive to us. No, it was an example for us. And, and, and about a year ago, we just said, you know what? We're, we're idiots as a church. We're not fasting. And I shocked the church, the Holy Spirit of God through prayer. I, I, I was thinking about Esther and calling it. And we would, for our missions conference, we'd call a church-wide fast. I wouldn't make anybody, don't even want to know. But, and of course, you fast privately and you don't tell people. But I said, look, missions conference this week on Monday. And it was at church on Sunday. I said, not till Tuesday morning. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but just in your spirit and your heart, you'll commit. We're not going to put anything in our mouth. We're not going to eat. We're going to fast and beg God to do something. Because by the way, even just one day as us crazy Americans, you know, with fast food everywhere, you get to about six o'clock that evening just on one day and you begin to really stop and think about what you're doing and the need, the hunk, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so my soul panteth. So now if we have something that we say, you know what, God, we need you in this, we'll just call a day of fasting. And I'm not up here to toot anybody's horn here. I don't pray like I should. I don't fast like I should. But Jesus is saying, I do. And I'm going, I want to be a Christ follower. I want to be a Christian. I mean, it's in, in the name Christian. Yes. I'm a good Christian. Oh, really? When was the last time you fasted? To be like Jesus. Nah. Because how, how is your prayer life this morning? Let's pray for Myanmar. Let's pray for the Philippines. Yeah, you, you haven't prayed since last missions conference. And you know what? I'm as convicted as the rest of us. Number four, quickly, we've looked at he prayed as a child. He prayed to begin his ministry work. He prayed prayer was a part of his daily work. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus depended every moment on prayer. Let's just jump to Luke chapter number five, understanding the harmony of the gospels and, and the timeline here. Just his daily walk. We see this in Luke chapter five. I want you to see this. And, and I am frustrated only giving you just a little bit here. It's, it's really a, an entire series 
I mean, you could preach this every Wednesday night for months. Uh, but Luke chapter number 5 and verse number 15, the Bible says, But so much more the, uh, went the fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Now, hold it there at verse 15, Luke 5. Hold it there. And I want all you guys to get around me and you need stuff. You need healing. You need money. Your family needs help. All you guys from right there to right there, just surround me. And in a moment, I'm going to have you look at verse 16 in this context. Ready? Come at me. This is Jesus, the Son of God. He's got power. People need him. You're a missionary. You're a servant of God. You're a teacher. You're a bus captain. Don't people need you? You're a parent. You're a mom. You got diapers to change. Uh, you're a dad. You got money to make. Now, come on. You need me. Pull on me. Grab on me. Watch this. Look at verse 16. What did he do in this context? What did he do in this context? Watch this. Watch, watch. He withdrew himself and went and prayed. Question, do you think he had a time to pray? Do you think he had the character of prayer? Do you think he had a schedule for prayer? Don't you think maybe he had a list, something? Just, oh, I think right in the middle of this is a good idea to go pray. No, he knew, I can't do that if I don't do this. That, that right there shames me and convicts me because of the so-called priorities of life. Joshua said that God said of Joshua, he left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded him. You got two lists, that which you got done and that which you didn't get done. Guys, you can be seated. Thank you. What's most important is what you leave undone and what you get done. You're going to have to leave a lot of stuff undone that might be good things, but God commanded you to pray. He said, pray without ceasing. He said, men ought always to pray. So is that on your done list? Hey, you, you may not be some get things done guru. And you might have a long list of things not done. But the greatest men that you saw, look, back in the old days, they'd go across the sea. And these missionaries would spend seasons of prayer. And all kinds of things wouldn't get done. Souls wouldn't even be being saved, but they were praying. And when they came out of that season of prayer... The world was turned upside down. He depended every moment on prayer. Look, I have a little secret. When I'm talking to people, I'm psycho, I guess. In my mind, if when people come in for counsel, you know, I'm just a young pastor. I don't know. I haven't, don't have the experience other people have. But I will just, and I'm trying to listen. I'm trying to multitask. You know, ladies, you can do it better. But I'm saying, Lord, give me wisdom. 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 Lord, over and over. And that, I mean, just about anything. Hey, pastor, you know, I'm going to buy this farm. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom. If any man lack wisdom. If it, I went to a marriage conference. It was six, 300 couples. There was 600 people. A large church. It was Pastor Wilkinson's church three or four years ago. And I was just one of the speakers. And I thought, what am I doing here? And Charity and I just begged God for wisdom. Lord, give us wisdom. Lord, give us wisdom. When we got up and did our little marriage things the whole time, Lord, give us wisdom. Lord, give us wisdom. Lord, give us wisdom. We don't know nothing. And I mean that. I'm not, it's not a false humility. We got done and there were elderly couples coming up and says, for a young couple, you have such wisdom. <laughs> Thank you, God. They, they don't know the secret. <laughs> but but the, there's the secret. He withdrew himself. Do you see that? In those moments, well, I got to go have my prayer time and then check out. Number five, number five, Jesus made every decision with prayer. Look at Luke chapter um, 6 quickly. We're in Luke 5. Let's just jump over to Luke 6. You can go to every gospel and you can see it. 
more times than, than you've got time to study in the next several weeks. Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. You know, we don't, and, and again, this isn't to toot our horn. This is about persuading you because of what Jesus did. But we won't have an, we put it on the calendar. I mean, you can go look at our church calendar right now. It'll say all night prayer meeting. We used to go all night, seven hours, but we go 10 to midnight because we kept falling asleep. We're a bunch of carnal people. So we just moved it to 10 to midnight because we were falling asleep at like three. But well, we won't start it until after 10 p.m. Why? Because nobody's calling and it's kind of a little bit form of fasting. But whether it's a youth conference, whether it's a spring program or a special Sunday, we'll just call it. It's on the calendar. A bunch of guys will meet in the auditorium. We'll just walk around for two hours just crying out to God. Why? Because we want to make the right decisions uh, we have a Christmas play. We'll say, God, we're going to call this prayer meeting just to get the theme or the scene or the scripting. And it is amazing what comes out of those things. But, but look at this in Luke chapter 6. Not, watch this. He continued all night in prayer to God. And in the morning, he went up and, and got some Starbucks and some pastries and then slept for two or three hours and asked his boss if he could take some time off. No, and when it was day, what did he do? He called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve. You know what we're like? The man that came into my office after he burned his house down, drove to Table Rock Lake in Branson, Missouri, with a ratchet strapped, strapped his body to his seat to drive off into the, that's one of the deepest lakes uh, there in the United States to commit suicide after he burned his house down uh, because of decisions that he made with his family. And they pinged his phone and they, the police stopped him before he could drive off the rail. And he said in my office after getting out of prison and he said, do you know not one time did I bow the knee before I married my wife, bought that home or went into this specific thing and I won't tell you what it was to not reveal his identity. Not one time did I bow the knee on those decisions. Jesus chose the 12 disciples. Pray before deciding to sin. <laughs> Number six, the miracles of Jesus were a result of his prayer life. What? Now, wait a minute. You're messing up my mind here a little bit. He's just, you know, some genie in a bottle. Just, you know, whoa, he could say, no, read the Bible. He could have of his own self do nothing. And at every miracle you come to, you're going to find him asking God for it, praying. I mean, I'm looking at the time here. Look at, look at Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. I'm just trying to decide which miracles I want to go to. Matthew chapter 14. Let's look at this here, the feeding of the, the 5,000. Verse 17, they say unto him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes. Verse 19. And, and what's the next phrase? Verse 19. See, wait, 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 wait. Verse 19 in the middle. We just think he just starts breaking them. No. In verse 19, he takes them. What's the first thing that Jesus, the Christ of Christianity, he what? He looking up to heaven. Do you see it? Looking up to heaven. He blessed it. He thanked God for it. You know what he was doing? He was surrendering to the miracle. We, we could go all, all throughout the scriptures. You, you could go to Lazarus's tomb. I mean, raising somebody from the dead. Well, Jesus could just speak it. No, no, because he, he wanted us to realize we've got to pray. We could change the world. We talked about the impossibilities last night. Prayer is the magic. Prayer is the key. He's standing at the tomb of Lazarus. And the Bible says he groans in his spirit. And I believe that's prayer. The spirit maketh the intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. 
And he cries, Lazarus, come forth. But wait a minute, we're missing something. He looks up to heaven and he says, and I quote, over the, the resurrection of Lazarus, he said, Jesus Christ says, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And you think I'm going to get up and preach or try to pass out a track or do anything without prayer? You know what? But, but so often in my stupidity, if you will, my laziness, my fleshliness, I don't. And then I wonder why we don't do more for God. The miracles of Jesus were a result of his prayer life. I mean, when he sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. It's everywhere. But the ship was in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves. Fourth night, he comes walking. You know, he comes out of prayer to walk on the water. You won't find a miracle. I mean, you could. I mean, it's my own study. I mean, you might find one, but, but I haven't found one where you don't see him connecting with God and God giving him the power in this form of man that he became obedient in. I want a spiritual work. I don't want an earthly work. Yes. Number seven, when you organize the New Testament church, I understand that there was a church in the wilderness and all of that in the Old Testament, but when he organized the church, Luke 19, verse 18, let me read it to you. And it came to pass as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him and asked them saying, whom say the people that I am? And they said, John the Baptist, but some say Elias. And others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. And he said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Peter answering, saying, Christ the God. What does the context say right there? Luke 19, 18. And it came to pass as he was alone praying, they walked in on him. And in that spirit of the power of prayer, he came out with a powerful word. Watch this. He's praying. They come walking in. Whom say ye that I am? They said, well, John the Baptist, Elias, one of the old prophets. Well, Peter, you're, you're, you're the true rock, the cornerstone. And he said, upon this rock I'll bend my church and the gates of hell will not prevail out of it. On his knees he made that statement. And again, this is Jesus Christ. We ought to shudder to think of the lack of prayer that happens in our life. The ministry of the Lord Jesus ended in prayer. His prayer in the garden was the most intense prayer of all of his life. He sweat great drops of blood. They knew where to find him. He had a place of prayer. The garden of Gethsemane was marked by that. He's coming back to that place. That's where he connected with God. Man, when that comes in on you and you think that's where he ascended, this same Jesus, and he came back. Why? Because that was his place of connecting with God, his place of prayer. And here's Peter what did he want him to do? Just pray with me for an hour. And I'll die with you. I'll go plant churches. I'll be the greatest missionary. And Jesus said, I just want you to pray. Isn't it amazing what we're willing to do in the future in place of what God is asking us to do right now? I'll give the missions. I'll register. Just, I, just, I just want you to pray. Because if you pray in authenticity and you pray in the spirit and, and, and you cry out to God in prayer, he said, you'll give. I went up to Alaska and uh, brother, uh, the older man, Brother Duffett, was sitting at a table and he didn't know me and I didn't know him. He knew my dad and, and I just sit down. I had not met him and it was just kind of this anointed moment. He just, I sit down and he just looks at me like this. I had not even met him and he pulls out this little book and he just said, read this. It'll change your life. Handed me a little book called The Power of Crying Out. Just a little booklet. And I took that thing home and I'm telling you, it did change my life. 
Just the power of crying out, oh God. Laying your, your, your pride aside and, and just crying out to an almighty God. When was the last time that you cried out to almighty God? I'll die with you. I'll go to the cross with you. No, you're going to curse and deny. Why? Because you won't just pray with me. The prayer on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know that that's intercessory prayer. I'll close with this. What is Jesus doing right now? What's his purpose? What's his purpose? Look at it in Hebrews 7. I know we've been in the Gospels, but close with Hebrews chapter 7 and verse number 25. Why does he ever live? I understand he's God. I get all of that. But, but what's his role, if you will? What is he doing? Notice this in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. I want you to see it. Why does he ever live? Speaking of Christ. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost. We're talking about missions, aren't we? The uttermost, every tribe, every language, every tongue, that come unto God by him. Watch this. Seeing, we got to see this. He ever liveth to make intercession for them. Jesus is praying for missions as we speak. While we preach, while we listen, while we think about lunch, there is a God in heaven that's saying, oh God, send laborers. Oh God, there's Myanmar. Oh God, there's Baghdad. Oh God, there's Washington, Iowa. There's Austin, Texas. God, there's Bangladesh and there's Bhutan and there's, there's all these countries of the way. He's ever living to make intercession. And he's praying for you and I. Jesus prayed for me today. I want to be like Jesus, but I can't be if I'm not serious about prayer. Jesus prayed when he was being tempted of the devil. He prayed for the lost. He prayed for the saved. He prayed for me. He prayed for you. He had a place of prayer. He prayed in public. He prayed in private. He prayed in times of joy. He prayed in times of great sorrow. He prayed for himself. He prayed for others. He prayed to express thanks. He prayed to petition for needs. He prayed to just simply commune with his father. It was an integral part of Jesus' time on earth. He withdrew himself to lonely places and prayed. He prayed. He prayed. He prayed. They knew where to find him in prayer. They asked him to teach him how to pray. Everything about the Christ of Christianity was about prayer. And I am convinced that if some young person would just say, Daddy, help me. Help me. Mama, help me to have a prayer time every morning. If every teenager, every college student would simply bow the knee. Look, it's better to pray 10 minutes a day faithfully than one hour a week unfaithfully. Find a consistent, called out place of prayer and just call out one country for one minute and watch what God will do. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. But only, but only through that Gethsemane place of prayer. Father, we love you. And we thank you for missions. Lord, we are so impacted and stirred in the stories and the truths of missions. But Lord, we shudder. Lord, I stand in the fear of God because of how I play around with prayer. I'm sick of myself in prayer. I'm sick of myself. I'll come to a conference like this and I'll get focused on the structure of the message or, or, or all of the trappings or the experiences and not just simply closing that door uh, in the bathroom in that hotel and falling on my knees and saying, oh God, please help us. Oh God, save the nations of the world. God, help my family and help me my marriage and help me to be a good husband. And I'm sorry for my sin and I need your help and I need your power. And God, I want to do your will we can talk about the George Mueller's 
We can talk about the Adoniram Judsons. We can talk about the great prayer warriors of days gone by. We can even talk about Paul's prayer life. And it would shock you as you go down that study. We could talk about the prayer life of characters in the Bible, but we're not. We saw Jesus. He says, come learn of me. See how I did it. We, we, we don't have a high priest that, that, that didn't walk in your footsteps and you can walk in his. He said, so you come boldly as well, like I did, Jesus said, that you might find grace and mercy and help in time of need. If this group right here would get serious about prayer and character about prayer and metric prayer and write it down to set a reminder for six months from now to, to, to look and examine and, and, and see how our prayer life is, I truly believe that missions would be, it, it, it would blow up far beyond what we've ever seen. I think giving and heart and unity and power and souls. We need prayer and soul winning. Father, help us, I pray.